Welcome to Content People. I'm your host, Meredith Farley. Each week we interview a creator, founder, author, or a professional behind the content that we love. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Charlotte Palermino. If you're in the beauty or skincare industry, or if you've been scrolling through TikTok, you've likely come across Charlotte. She's the CEO and founder of Do Skin which is beloved by skincare aficionados and celebs from Hailey Bieber to the legendary Harrison Ford. In our conversation, we delved into what Snapchat got wrong that TikTok got right, why she paid her brand designer in equity. I particularly love that story. I was taking notes. Charlotte's strategy for crafting viral TikTok content, the misconceptions surrounding reef safe sunscreen marketing, and so much more. To get more of Charlotte, you can follow her on TikTok. She's at Charlotte Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R, and the same for Instagram. You can also check out her recommended products. She's got a shop my shelf, and you can also dive into Do Skin on Instagram and on TikTok. I will throw all of those in the show notes. I love following Charlotte. I definitely recommend it. Check her out. If you want to know a little bit more about me, I transitioned from being a marketing COO to the CEO and founder of my own agency, Medberry. We launched this summer and have been working closely with founders, coaches, creatives, job seekers, and budding entrepreneurs, helping them to expand their professional brands. Basically, we're optimizing and managing LinkedIn so that you don't have to do it. We manage newsletters and podcasts too. If you're curious to learn more, shoot me an email or subscribe to our newsletter. Links are in the description below. All right. I think that's it. Let's jump in. I really hope that you like it. Charlotte, thank you so much. Charlotte, thank you so much. I've always found you so fascinating and I'm really grateful for your time to let me pick your brain a little bit. So excited to be here. Anyone who is interested in skincare, I think absolutely knows you. But for folks who maybe aren't as familiar with the skincare industry or you, could you say a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I'm Charlotte Palomino. I've been in many different fields and industries, I am the CEO and co-founder of Do. I also create a lot of content on the internet, just talking about skincare and a lot of the different things that kind of impact our society, like culturally, beyond just like the beauty space. I love science. I love marketing. I love advertising. I love storytelling. And I think that's led me to the skincare space because skincare, especially when you're a woman, it infiltrates your life more and more as every year passes by for the obvious reasons. And I feel like beauty isn't given much uh, attention sometimes or fact-checking because it's considered frivolous, but it's really spiraling right now, especially with the advent of TikTok and misinformation. And so it's just a place where I find it endlessly fascinating to see how brands are marketing themselves. And I'm like, do they really think that nobody's going to figure this out? And then I'm like, wait a minute, but nobody is talking about it. So I'm going to talk about it. And in a way that I hope um, people resonate with and learn from and don't. My, my main thing is, is I'm like, don't be scared. Because whether it be to make you motivate uh, a purchase or to motivate an action, fear is one of the easiest ways to get somebody to act because you aren't really thinking anymore. I only follow like 20 people and you are one of them. I think you called do a TMI brand. You're all about facts. Your anti-fear mongering is such a, a like a lovely space on the internet. And I love that. I think that so much on the internet, people want clear answers, especially in a world that's so uncertain. But that's actually the biggest red flag is somebody that says, oh, I know definitively 
right? Like even something like coral reef safe sunscreen, right? Like 10 years, 20 years ago, we we're like, okay, let's get more information on this. Now we know that if you boost any filter, including zinc really high in the ocean, it's going to bleach coral reefs. That has nothing to do with why the reefs are being bleached. It has to do with the rising ocean temperatures. And so brands, instead of selling you a zinc sunscreen, should probably just be making UPF clothing and that you buy once and that you don't buy anything else again. It's just like this kind of mismarketing to people's better intentions. Like my whole thing is I'm like, it's not on you, the consumer, to become an investigative journalist. I think it is insane how much pressure we put on consumers to figure things out on their own, right? What's the best packaging? What's the best ingredients? What's the best? No, brands have the responsibility to be marketing in a truthful way. And in other countries, there are more laws around this. But in the United States, I like to say the most unregulated thing isn't the formula. It's literally the marketing. Like you can say whatever you want just about. A lot of folks listening are probably in marketing or social media. Yes. I'd like to peel back a little bit on your experience because you built out Cosmopolitan Snapchat channel to huge success. And then you got a job at Snapchat. (laughs) And that like little detail of yours. And I started in advertising. It was so strange. Like I started in advertising and then went into editorial and then went over to tech. It was weird. Could you talk a little bit about your career journey there? And then I want to ask, because I'm always trying to just pull actionable insights or advice for listeners. How did you make that move from internal Cosmos Snapchat to actually working at Snapchat? Yeah. So I was working at Hearst for years. I started off on the branded content side. Then I went into audience development. And so this was the era when Facebook was eating everybody's lunch. And so everybody was trying to be Facebook. And I like to say that TikTok is a version of Facebook right now because virality is through clickbait or through incendiary headlines or through things that basically determine an engagement rate. It's not about quality. It's not about truth. It's about can this narrative pick up? And that is what's happening on TikTok right now, but it's moved on beyond social graphs, right? So Instagram, Facebook, I follow you, you follow me. That's how you get views. TikTok is an algorithm that serves through the For You page. It has nothing to do with your social graphs. It has to do with virality. So it's really fascinating how much has changed. And I think that this is why I'm able to shift a lot is because I understand. I, the thing that fascinates me to no end, net, no end is what motivates somebody. Why does somebody do something? And so that's been the through line. So when I was working at Hearst, I actually got to launch the Snapchat Discover channel because I was working in audience partnerships. I was working on building out YouTube and Pinterest and really like Instagram and viral articles. I was actually giving editorial suggestions on what to write. And then I would actually write some of these articles. And I went, I almost was on the Today Show for an article that I wrote about a pizza cleanse. And then you saw this kind of journalism taking over, like a lot of people copied the model, but it wasn't like necessarily like me creatively thinking of something. It was me looking at data and be like, okay, you combine this with this and you get this headline and that's how we actually create the article. And so I launched Cosmos Snapchat Discover. I ran that editorial channel for a year. I think that anybody who works in publishing or in magazines, I don't come from a family that pays my rent or a family that really gives me money at all after I graduated university. And even before that, it was like I had to pay my way. You can't live in New York off of the salary, right? Like you're making money that you, you are living paycheck to paycheck and it loses the glamour once you start to hit your 30s. And so um, I actually reached out to Snapchat and I was like, hey, this is what's happening. What are y'all up to? And it's not like I got a massive pay rise, but there was like an equity piece and things like that. Like content is always, it's so interesting because content is the crux of platforms and why people are engaging. But for some reason, like a lot of platforms just don't invest in it because they expect creators to do it for free, which 
to date, yes, that is what's happening. And so I actually just asked for the job, which is what I've typically done throughout my career. I'm like, the worst thing they're going to say is no. And so I had to submit an edit test, which was funny. I basically had to say like how I would help different platforms like the New York Times or CNN or Al Jazeera. I was in Dubai for a while, like launching all these different platforms and publishers in the UAE. And so I became the editorial lead for Snapchat and basically creating best practices for that platform. And how do you create engagement in what vertical videos? <laughs> so it was like Snapchat was, could have been TikTok, but instead of opening on a content feed, they opened on the camera, which obviously is way too much pressure for the average person. People need inspiration. And TikTok's all about copying what other people do, right? You're copying viral sounds, you're copying viral like uh, formats, or you're stitching, right? So TikTok really understood humans in a way that I don't think other platforms did which is replication and mimicking. That is so interesting. Thank you. <laughs> and there's so many things I want to ask about there. When you first started talking, you mentioned how virality is, it's fear, it's something incendiary, and that's what's going to get the clicks. That's what's going to get traction. You have an amazing social following and you're anti that. How can one subvert that and be responsible, but also still build a business or build a brand if that's what they're trying to do. I think it's like, what is your angle that is surprising or unique to you? And you have to do it in your voice because actually authenticity is the most important thing. If you if something is overproduced or something feels fake, people are just going to not be engaged. And so if you can tell a story in a compelling way where people are going to get past that five second mark, which is really that tipping point to get people really involved, then that's how you're going to actually get traction on different platforms. So that's what I always say. It's like, it's like I have a lot of misses and like on TikTok right now, I'm currently trying to find what that good balance is because I haven't had the time to dedicate to my content the way that I used to because do has really picked up. And so do has become like obviously this priority, but it's I think it's so important to keep that base of education. So I'm actually looking to Substack and places where I'm not relying on an algorithm and whereas people who are interested in this and they can share it in a different way. Like, for example, I would love to do just like a really long blog post on like different social channels and like how that evolution has come to be and what I think some of the end stages are going to be. But it's I don't know if that would perform well on TikTok and I don't want to create my content purely around the lens of what's going to go viral. Yeah. And so I'm thinking increasing my different channels, right? So diversifying a bit. Okay. I want to diversify my social portfolio. That's interesting. For the record, I would hard subscribe to any. <laughs> <laughs> I would love a Charlotte Substack, but that kind of it leads into a question I had. So my agency Medberry focuses on personal branding for founders and execs, but it's mostly LinkedIn rather than TikTok. But when I see someone like you who is really just nailing it, I'm always very curious about the behind the scenes. Like you have so much facility with communication and interviews and on TikTok. And my sense would be that for you, finding the right words or sharing stories comes really easy. But I'm curious, is that true? Have you ever struggled to find your voice or a personal brand for yourself? I think this refers back to what I was saying before. I just, I have one volume. It's really interesting. So I, I met with this dermatologist that I'm obsessed with just because he's just, he puts out really great information and is just like really like fun to talk to, Corey Hartman. And I met him for a drink uh, while he was in town. And he was like, whoa, you're exactly like your Instagram. And I'm like, yeah. So I don't have to think about a personal brand. I just am what I am. I think that one thing that I've learned through time, and this is something that one of my co-founders, Marta, 
has really taught me is that it's okay to be soft sometimes. Like sometimes I'm so angry and I don't think that's necessarily the best way to push things forward. Sometimes anger gives you that energy to push through to the next level, but it's not necessarily great for building and growing community. And so I think that's one thing that I'm trying to balance out a little bit more is trying to have empathy and compassion and understanding why some people are doing the things that they're doing. Because I'm like, why would you put out this information? I'm like, maybe you think it's accurate and, and maybe you just don't know. And so taking it more from that lens, I think that there's an evolution of my voice. And I'm hoping that there is more of an evolution because I really want the world to become better. And I think that misinformation is never the way to get there. I don't think it's helpful. Every little bit helps when you're talking about coral reef bleaching because Sorry, I, I listened to a podcast from The Daily and then I went into this like spiral and it's we're really fucked on the coral reef front. And then I'm seeing more brands talking about coral reef safe sunscreen. And I'm like, vote for people who believe in climate change. Anybody watch the GOP debate? We literally have politicians saying that climate change is not real. So if you care about the coral reef so much, don't use it as a sales pitch. Do the thing that will actually help, which is voting people into power that will at least try to solve this really monumental and urgent issue. And that right there, it's not like a script. It's not like a thing that I'm coming up with. It's a thing that I'm like really scared about. And I'm 36. I froze my eggs. I have no idea if I want children because I'm like really scared about that. And so I'm trying to figure out ways to bring people into this conversation because I'm like, maybe they don't know. And so how do we create a place where people, it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to grow. Because I think that's another thing on the internet is that you can never make a misstep, right? It's like yeah. you make one misstep and then it's like you are this evil being. And it's no, it's like we all make mistakes. So how do we fix this together? And that's like where I'm trying to pivot to because I'm at the point now where I'm like, people must not know. And that's, I have to take that perspective. Otherwise, I'm going to be not very welcoming to people into changing. Right. Like you don't get somebody to change by screaming at them. Like I know this from my childhood. I was very stubborn and nobody got me to do anything by yelling at me. It was by reasoning with me. And so how do we get to that space? And so that's how my brand is now and how I'm trying to evolve. And so for me, I bring my whole self. And so that is somebody who is very passionate, somebody who is very opinionated and somebody who's also very open to being wrong. And so that is my brand, whether it be at do or whether it be on my personal Instagram or my Substack, I have a name for it, but I will. I'll, I'll tell you later. I'll okay. tell you later. Right. I'm like, maybe we'll change it, but I'll, I'm going to workshop it with you. <laughs> I really appreciate the emotional intelligence that you're bringing to a brand there in that I think finding ways to match one's passion and opinions and energy with also openness to conversation is really hard. Some people who just have such facility with those things like you, it just feels so authentic and they just came out of the womb with a point of view and a voice. And I, I credit my grandparents with it a lot because they grew up during like really rough times. And so they're very wary of any claim. They're like, can you back that up? And it's like, for example, my grandfather, my Italian grandfather, we were driving like in some like small town in New Hampshire and there was like fresh vegetables. And he looks at me, what are they going to sell? rotten vegetables and it's my grandmother had the same thing like any sort of like a marketing pitch or a sell she'd be like obviously and she would come to the united states and she would be like this is so over marketed and this is when i was like five or six and so i credit both of them they were like very positive cynics and so they really shaped my brain quite a bit 
Do you have any social media rules for yourself or things that you will not talk about? I don't talk about my personal life very much. Like I've been dating somebody for like over a year and we're very serious. And like I posted him on TikTok the other day, but I literally covered his face. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to talk about this because I've had so many relationships at this point, like very normal when you're in New York at 36. Yeah. And it's just, you just, it's already painful enough going through breakups, even if you knew it wasn't right. Like, I don't want to necessarily have to explain to a lot of people because when you start monetizing your personal life, sometimes it feels like you need to give an explanation. So that's actually one thing that I don't know if I would ever talk more about it. Like, I just got a place in Carroll Gardens. I'm going to do some work on it. And I was like, do I want to talk? Do I want to show my space? Like, people might see where I live. And I don't know. Like, it's an interesting question for me. So that so far is something that I have a pretty strict rule on. Just because it's people can be really mean. And I'm like, you can be mean about my business. You can be mean about my content. But it's like, if you're mean about my personal life, well, I don't know if I have enough money to hire a therapist that often for that. Yeah, I get that. I'm curious too, for time on apps, I, have, I feel like I have to be careful because it's it'll too intense, too fast for me. Do you have any rules for yourself where you're like 30 minutes on TikTok a day or any or anything like that? A couple of times, like every quarter, I will try to be off my phone at least for an entire weekend. I'm trying to make more weekends of absolutely no time on my phone. I'm thinking about getting a landline, like really going analog here. I guess it's not really analog. Analog. It'll be a one of those like turnstile phones. But that's basically my only rule because it's I know how these algorithms work. Like you are literally sucked in with TikTok. It's meant to be that way. Like you're supposed to it's click holes on Wikipedia. Yeah. Like you start learning about mozzarella cheese and then you end up in some like weird like revolution from like a country and like 500 years ago and you look up and it's 6 a.m. <laughs> that is TikTok, but they just figured it out with video. So it's far more compelling. And so I don't put limits on myself. No, but I do actually just put limits on like the device. Like yeah. I went to Mexico for a week with my partner's family, literally put my phone in a lockbox, did not look at it for one week, but I had like, a little camcorder um, and a little film camera. How did it feel after that? Did you feel like your brain opened up a little or were you like, yeah, it was I was able to rest. That's the thing. It's I think it's hard because you're like, oh, if I just have a vacation, I'm going to feel better. And I used to do this in my old life, like in when I'm before I started running a company and it's just a Band-Aid, right? It's yeah. like you broke your leg and you put a Band-Aid on it and it's okay. It's like I hobble around. It's you need to change the actual mechanism of how your life works, right? You need to change your pattern. You need to be sleeping more, right? Like none of this works if you aren't taking care of yourself. It doesn't matter if you take a vacation. It doesn't matter if you take a break. It's like your life needs to work in the way that you need it to work. And I think that what happened in 2020 with COVID is that so many people realized this doesn't work. This is crazy. And I come from the U.S., but I spend a lot of time in France. And people don't live their lives in the rest of the world necessarily the way they do here. I have a very privileged life in my family in France. Like some of them are farmers and they're not very wealthy, but like they're able to live a life that like I don't think really exists in the United States in the same way, especially when you look at, you know, how we treat agriculture. So it's it's interesting. And I think and I'm hoping that there is going to be more of a shift in that way because Americans deserve to rest. As do has like really just exploded, are you finding ways to rest for yourself or? Yeah, I mean, we'll have low sales days sometimes and I'm like, that's okay. Like you need to be okay with that. And then we'll have really high sales days. It's, from my perspective, it's how do you create a company that lasts and that doesn't just, that isn't just like a TikTok viral moment, right? Like yeah. you can have that as a brand, but how do you get people to come back? And I'm so proud of our repeat purchase numbers. 
which are in the high 60s. And I think it's just a testament to Joyce's formulas. She's, she's such a thoughtful formulator. We go through so many iterations because the way that most companies formulate their skincare is that they don't have a chemist in-house. Um, for us, she's my co-founder, right? So we have two co-founders. I have two co-founders. She's one of them. So she's in a position of power. Most companies give a marketing brief to the chemist and back it out. And those marketing briefs go through what's going to be trending on TikTok next year, right? So it's like the Mintel report, the Google Analytics reports. That's why you see so many slugging kits right now. And it's just, it's, it's a great skincare practice, yes, but they're capitalizing on this trending term. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily something that came from the mind of a chemist. It's like a marketing brief that was then given to formulators, which is fine. Like chemists, they can do a thing. But for us, we just flip that script and said, what does the skin need and how do we actually market that and position it in a really transparent way? And so I think that's why we have such a high loyalty rate because we're just trying to get to the right people. No product is for everyone, right? No matter how much somebody wants to tell you it's a holy grail, it's a holy grail for this kind of person, right? And so that's how we try to position everything. I want to ask about your TikTok content planning slash creation process. There's none. There are so many women I've talked to who have amazing presences and I'm always expecting they're like, yes, this is my process. And everyone's no, it's like organic, creative, overwhelming sometimes. Do you plan it out ahead of time? I'm it? trying to carve out more time. If I could just carve out one, I, I, I want to start doing less TikTok content and more quality TikTok content because those always perform extremely well for me. I did the tanning series, like where does tanning come from? Because there's so many health influencers out here that are like tanning. It's like what humans used to do. And I'm like, no, they didn't. Let's actually look at the history. And so let's go through it. And it's the reason why we tan is partly because of Josephine Baker. She came out with the first tanning oil. Like a black woman in France. Come on, guys. Like this, like humans did not used to tan because humans were just trying to survive. So it's, of course, it's not. Don't be Gollum, right? Ricketts is a big part of where like light therapy came from because people were working in factories 24 hours a day during the Industrial Revolution. But again, it's like that balance and that nuance. Where I just go, I totally nerd out. But when I spend a lot of time doing that and I have like rough scripts, those videos always do so well. But I get to do those like once a quarter, right? So now I'm trying to be like, oh, can I do this like once a week? Because this is like so much fun and it's so fun getting to talk to people and engage with people. So I don't have any planning. It's absolute chaos. And lately I've been talking a lot about sunscreen because I did a video with AOC on it. But before that, I actually went to D.C. for a symposium. And it's actually how it all started with AOCs. I went to a, a symposium in D.C. to really understand what some of the holdups were with new sunscreen filters in the United States and to talk about how sunscreen misinformation has created this dearth of people who now don't, who don't trust science and don't trust doctors. Okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And... I've mentioned this earlier, but like you are such a multi-hyphenate. You are a writer, editor, strategist, tech worker, esthetician, co-founder, skinfluencer. Do you ever find it's hard to sum yourself up? Or conversely, do you find that people are trying to get you to define yourself or put yourself in a box? Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you become CEO because when I first started do, I was doing a lot of the operations, the finance the marketing, the strategy. I was doing all the social and the graphics for social. It was a lot, right? And it's like my co-founders, Marcha is like a queen of partnerships, did all of our creative shoots. So any of like our produced like editorial, it's just that's like all her and her incredible connections, like all of our partnerships. She has all creative direction for that. And it was, and, and Joyce obviously does all of our formulations and things like that. 
it was really hard at the beginning because I was like, I have no, I am so stretched thin. Like I actually don't even know what I'm like doing day to day. Like if something broke on Shopify, I would be the one in the back end. But I'm so used to working in startups. And I think that when you work at startups, you, because my first job was at a startup and I did that for four years. And then I worked at Hearst, but I was still operating in a startup mentality because I was running Snapchat Discover, which had, was understaffed. I had to learn After Effects overnight like literally overnight because we didn't have enough designers. And I realized that very quickly. I spent my life for a year working on Snapchat Discover for Cosmo, working at the office from I would come in at 10 and I would leave at 2 a.m. And I remember our photo director came in over the weekend because she was like at this like fun concert and she saw me just like at my computer. And I was like, hey, it was terrible, but it taught me a lot. Like now I know how to edit a video. Now I know what a cut is. Now I know how to use the entire Adobe suite right? Because once you learn one, you can figure out the rest. And so it was critical for my skills for do, right? To make things look a certain way. And I think that people always try to define you. But for me, if I were just to say in a through line, is just, I like to tell stories. And I think that the one through line is you can tell stories in a way that is trying to be more honest, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm still selling you something, right? So I'm sure people will take umbrage with ways that I position things no matter what I do, but I'm trying to give you as much information as possible so that you know what decision you're making. That is like my ultimate goal. And so whether I do it through the website or whether I do it through a TikTok or whether I do it through a meeting that I'm having with an investor who's telling me that I need to take part in a marketing trend, it's like ultimately I'm just trying to get that story through. You think of yourself as a storyteller. I know it's probably corny, but it is true. It's like even getting my estheticians license, like I would love to practice one day. Yes, you are helping somebody with their skin and it's more like therapeutic. But at the end of the day, you are telling them a story as well. It's like you should be using this product. You should be using that. I think that a lot of work now, especially because storytelling has become democratized through social media, it is just like a part of what everybody has to learn how to do. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I want to say with Do, I love the branding so much. I called it out of a newsletter. I was writing about it a few months ago. It's like clever, it's clear, and it's fun. And I listened to the Glossy podcast interview where really quickly you touched on at the start you had, I think someone helped with like logo, vibe, basic, aesthetic. Good old Lee. <laughs> Is, and was that like a freelancer or a person you knew or someone? Yeah. Marge is just like an incredible connector. And so she got us connected to this packaging company who then got us connected to Lee. And the guy who ran the packaging company was like, Lee's really expensive. He'll never do it for you. And then I explained to him the brand and Lee was like, oh, I want to do this. And so we gave him a percentage of the company. And so it was not a ton, but like enough for it to be where we did the math for him if we ever had an exit or ever went public or mapped out all those scenarios and he was all in and so he created our brand book because Marta does like all of our photo shoots and things like that and like visual direction and vibes of the brand but we needed somebody on the graphic space to translate that into fonts right like what is the typography and so if you look at Perpetua it's a font that's usually very legible it's using a lot of like older texts it has like more of that history piece but if you look at Cooper Black it's more from the psychedelics time right the 70s and so it's about like these new resurgences new ideas things like that and so blending these kinds of different fonts together was really important for us and then just the logo ovals are not used very often in beauty design clarins is probably the only one and they do it sideways right with the but it's like a half oval and they don't even use it very often but for us we wanted that iconography very distinct and for you to be drawn in and feel luxury right because i think that 
skincare has almost become a little bit too serious, right? Where it's like science. And of course it's science, right? Yeah. It's really important to remind people of science, but it's not medication. It is not a prescription. It is something that can histologically change your skin, but it should also be fun and inspiring and draw you in. And it's why we call our moisturizer instant angel because it's fun. And then we can describe it underneath. It's a lipid rich cream, right? Or deliverance, a serum that tackles many things, but it's like it delivers your skin from whatever sin you did over the weekend. Me trying to do two chemical peels back to back with Tret, deliverance. (laughs) The three lines are amazing. That's so fascinating that you were like, let's do it as a percentage of the company. What was the process? Were there a lot of iterations? Listen, do you know how many investors were like, that was a terrible idea. That was a terrible idea. And I'm like, I don't come from money. I do not have a trust fund. I do not have a trust fund. I do not. And so it's not that everybody who starts a company has that, but it's like my, where my safety net is that if I go broke tomorrow, my parents would probably take me in. My sister would too right? That is my safety net. I can't ask my parents for money. I can't ask people for money, right? In my family. And so I think that a lot of people who start businesses, I waited until I had a lot of money saved up. And the reason that I had a lot of money saved up is because I made career choices that would get me equity, which I could then sell. If I'd continued working in magazines, I would have never been where I am today because I wouldn't have that safety net. I was not going to take a jump into a company without having at least a year's worth of salary saved up. Yeah, I wasn't. And so for me, that's that was like my how I was paying my rent. I couldn't give all of that money over to a designer. Yeah, I couldn't. That's it's just not in my realm of possibility. And instead, now I have this amazing advisor, somebody who is a friend of mine who I can just hit up and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. And we work with him like infrequently, but it's like he created that DNA. And so I do not regret that decision at all. And I think it's really interesting when people try to give you advice and they don't understand where you come from. I totally get that. So as someone who just started a company also living off of saving that I like put together for a really long time to get there, maybe 36 is the year. And I'm also 36. I think that's such a smart, it's such a smart, interesting thing that you guys did. So many founders hit the tough moment where you're like, I want to invest to make it viable, interesting, compelling, but I don't have the money. I need the customers first or the clients first. And that's such a, such a smart, savvy, interesting mm-hmm approach. I love it. Yeah. And our first product was something that I had a hunch would do really well, which was the forever eye mask. Yeah. And it's funny because I designed like the first version. I was like, what if we just take our logo and put it over an eye mask and do it in a way that's a little bit like blown out. And I sent it over to Lee and he was like, we need to change the color to like this green. Right. So it's like a collaboration between both of us on the design of that mask. But it's the actual eye mask. Like I went to a silicone manufacturer. I asked for medical grade silicone because of how squishy and soft and pliant it is and it really sticks to the face yeah and all and it's created this product but it was also something that I was like okay we're gonna sell it we're gonna sell it once and it's how we're gonna build a base of customers because it's gonna show them that we're not like I could have I it would have been cheaper for me to go to contract manufacturer get a pre-made eye mask like a hydrogel and just slap our name on it but I was like those aren't really like that helpful. Like eye masks help work because you use them every day and your eye cream probably has better ingredients than the serum that's in the little pouch. And so using it every day is the most important thing. And so that's what was the genesis of all of that. But that really actually helped us fund all of our efforts because we went through a lot of our money at the beginning trying to get clinicals through on our formulas. 
That's interesting. I was going to ask, did you launch them knowing formulated skincare products were coming? Or they re- were coming, yes. It was just taking a while um, because doing clinicals during 2020 was near impossible. And so we were able to get some through and it was just very challenging, right? Like we had to do testing for irritation in like different places and on the face because everybody had to wear a mask. And so it was just challenging. We started in 2018 and that's when everything kicked off when we met Joyce, the end of 2018. And we did not launch um, Deliverance until 2021. Took a while. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess back to the the branding stage a bit, I'm really curious. Do you have advice for founders who are at the defining the brand stage? I wanted to ask how much, in your opinion, does copy site aesthetics matter? I guess from what you've said, you think it matters quite a lot. Yeah, I think it matters a lot. For us, we really wanted to find people that were like our energy. And so that's really what went into the branding. It's not going to be for everybody. Um, I think that people who try to be for everybody just end up being a little bit bland, um, which can be really successful. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just not very bland. So I think your interest in studying and measuring efficacy of CBD was part of Dew's origin story. Is that right? Yeah. Because Joyce thought it was total bullshit when we first met. She was like, uh-huh. And I could see her eyes just like glazing over. And this is actually when I was still really into like clean and not even that I thought that like clean at that point, I'd already gotten out of my essential oils phase and stuff like that. But with clean, I was like, we should make the formulas clean and things like that. And I could see her just being like, because she's like, oh, like she was a, at this point, she was working as a consultant. So she was working for a lot of brands. And she's like, I can make your formulas clean, but it doesn't really mean anything. And it can actually lead to worse formulations. It can lead to mold in your products. It can lead to separation of the products. And she's like, I'm fine formulating without parabens. Like I, she's like, even though methyl paraben is found in blueberries and you eat those, She's like, I can do it, but I just want you to know it's like it's something that I probably won't come on full time because it's just not something that, you know, that I personally ascribe to. And I was like, interesting. So that I, that's when I started going into it. I'm like, we don't need to put this branding anywhere near it. And with Joyce kind of studying those cannabinoids, I sent her after a meeting like all of this literature on there is some information that it may help with calming and soothing the skin, inflammatory responses, things like that, because Ultimately, when you smoke weed that has high THC, it gets you high. We have endocannabinoid systems. These cannabinoids interact with our receptors. This is not something that's really up for debate, but how they react, the dosage, do they do much of anything? And I think the problem with cannabinoids, what happened is that a lot of brands marketed it as a miracle. They profited off of the cachet of THC, like weed, and we never really fixed any of the regulatory issues. And I think it's a plant that's been maligned and that has been used to incarcerate a lot of people who did not deserve to be incarcerated. And there's a lot of work that has to be done to undo the harm of the war on drugs. It's why we donate money from sales of deliverance to different efforts to minimize that harm, because it's something that it's really bad how it's still an issue in the United States and it's not federally legal. But yeah, but that initial studying of cannabinoids, understanding what worked we actually tested out different percentages and they all reacted differently with the skin if you induce inflammation and irritation. And so it was really fascinating to see that. And that was step one. And that was when Joyce was like, okay, like you're willing to put in the money to actually test these things and to make sure that these products actually work. I want to come on board as a co-founder. So Joyce actually came on as a co-founder after March and I started the business, but I'm so grateful that she did. I was thinking about how there's been some headlines that CBD bubble has popped and people are over CBD products. And who knows if that's true or not? I thought from a branding perspective, it seems really wise and savvy 
that CBD, though, an element of do was not front and center. I don't think of it as a CBD brand. You don't. It's just so hard because it's just there are so many. I understand why people wanted to capitalize off of CBD. But from my perspective, it's an ingredient. Like yeah. brands aren't built off of ingredients. Brands are built off of formulas or proprietary technology or an idea or a marketing gap, right? Right now, a lot of companies start because of marketing gaps. Glossier built the mold for this. I know that a lot of people like to rag on that brand, but I'm like, it is success. It is insane what that brand did. I am able to run a company because of what Glossier did. And so that is more of like a marketing packaging play but there has to be something. What is what about CBD is unique? What about CBD is something that somebody else can't just copy? What if you focus on all of your messaging on that? Yeah. It's like niacinamide. I wouldn't build a brand off of niacinamide. It just doesn't make any sense. I vitamin C. I, what? Like it just doesn't make any sense. And that was like something that we never did from the start. All of this to say that we wanted to create a brand and not popularize an ingredient. That's so interesting. It's I went to this meetup and a woman in Boston, a prominent VC founder, has been focusing a lot on AI. And what she, what she was saying about AI is exactly what you're saying about CBD, which is that right now folks are leading with it. It's AI. It, and then, oh, by the way, here's the service it does. But in a couple of years, it's going to be what's the service? And incidentally, AI is involved. So it seems really savvy from a brand perspective as well to not hop on a trend just because people are interested in an ingredient. But like you seem to have naturally been at the epicenter of a lot of cultural big moments like Snapchat, CBD, skincare. And I'm like, should VCs just follow yeah. you down and ask you like what you're into? And is there anything right now that you're like, I'm super curious and interested about XYZ. So maybe buy some stocks, guys. I honestly don't take any advice from me for the stock market. My brain is not equipped for that. I think for me, what has always been really interesting is, again, it's like what motivates people to act, right? I think that's where my brain goes and why I keep ending up in these different spaces. So for something like Snapchat, I was there before Instagram stories launched and you can look at my LinkedIn and see when I left. And so it's always understanding like when things are happening. And I think I just happen to be on the internet a lot. So I see what a lot of people are talking about. But it's like with AI where people are talking about things like replacing other people. I'm like, this is going to be a really great adjunct and it's going to be an incredible tool for people to use. But it's not like what you just said, it's, I really find it confusing when people just are starting to add it to absolutely everything. I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's going to be simple and follow that, I feel like, for the next year or two. Oh, um, yeah. So for Dew, I know there's a new product drop coming soon. And I've been talking a lot about trans epidermal water loss. So yes. as a dry-skinned woman, I'm very excited. <laughs> are there any, do you have predictions in skincare trends or anything mm -hmm. related we should keep our eyes peeled for? I think... Last year was all about barrier repair. And I think what's really interesting is just barrier repair is just making sure that your skin um, is strong, right? And strong skin is skin that can tolerate retinoids and exfoliants and things like that. I think um, I spend a lot of time at NYSEC every year. They come twice a year. It's basically a raw material supplier day. And so you get to see all the ingredients that are going to be trending in the next couple of years or that people are trying to sell as trending in the next couple of years. People are still selling the same ingredients, right? They're still selling retinoids. They're still selling um, exfoliants, things like that, that we know work. But I think that you're going to see a lot of stuff with um, 
more like peptide and like biotech ingredients that are trying to basically mimic what these other ingredients do, but in a more gentle way. I think that's like the one that's one thing that people really want to get to. Um, and I think that sun protection is going to become increasingly important um, for us with um, our gel moisturizer. That's what the next launch is going to be. Our gel moisturizer has a ingredient in it that when paired with glycerin actually swells the skin at the dermis level, which is like a little bit deeper. And so that's something where it's it really plumps out the skin in a nice way. All right. Uh, thank you. And then <laughs> final question, because the podcast is content people. What is one of your favorite pieces of content right now? Oh, I actually took down his name. Okay. Because I, I looked at that question. I was like, what is not? He's not my representative, but I wish he was. Is it Jeff Jackson? Jackson. I think it's Jeff Jackson. So he's a representative and I think he has the best TikTok on the planet because he just breaks down policy in a really easy way and kind of the way that uh, consumers shouldn't have to be scientists to understand things. You shouldn't have to be in politics to understand policy, right? We have to make these things understandable to people who are not experts in the space and we should not be taking advantage of people who are not experts in order to sway them into a certain decision. And so that is like my work in skincare. And it's, I think that he does such a great job of breaking down policy um, on TikTok. And it's a real masterclass in how do you make things super easy to understand in a really compelling way. And you don't have to do it with fear. I will check him out. We will link in the show notes. Yeah, his name is Jeff Jackson. All right. Thank you. And then anything else you'd wish I'd asked that you'd want to say? Oh, so lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much, Charlotte. I really love this. Thank you. Thanks, Meredith. All right, folks. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe or review us. And if you want to check out our newsletter, Content People, it is in the show notes. See you next time. Bye.